The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Is it mad that the world burning is not in our, like, top three concerns? You thought bad news was done, but I'm back with more. And Alice Sneddon's Bad News Saves the World. I finally address the climate crisis and explore why no one cares. Watch it on thespinoff.co.nz. I can see the anxiety starting to emit from you. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by Spark Lab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about Spark Lab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callahan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. It's heartening at the moment to see good news pop up, so it was great to see local employment solutions provider PaySource announce it's raised more than $5 million in a recent rights offer to allow it to grow its offering here and to the world. PaySource is a great local company with a CEO that's built multiple multi-million dollar businesses in this space. Asantha Wijaratna came to New Zealand in 1988 as a young accountant, saw that the payroll system could be done better and launched an early technology solution in 1995. Smartbooks that became Smart Payroll grew to process a good portion of New Zealand business payrolls and was sold to local tech giant Datacom in 2013. After a few years out, there was still an itch to innovate in the space again with a mobile-first offering that took advantage of emerging technology. And so... PaySource was born. It's been in the news with its offer of a free essentials payroll solution called PaySimple for New Zealand businesses affected by COVID-19 and for that successful rights issue, bringing on board its first institutional investor. To chat the journey the second time round, what this disrupted world means for business and the work in the community that in addition to business services helped lead to a Queen's service model, Asantha joins us now by Skype from Sri Lanka, where he was at the beginning of this lockdown. Kia ora, thank you so much for being here today. Kia ora, Simon. Thank you. I'd love to be here. Hey, cool. So tell me, um, tell me first, you know, you, uh, had you intended to be in um, Sri Lanka for such a long period? You, did you get stuck there? I did get stuck here. We, we came here for a family reason. Uh, we had a, a sick parent. Um, and then the, the whole world sort of closed down and we decided that as a family we'll stick together in Sri Lanka with all the modern communication stuff, like I'm talking to you, uh, it just really doesn't make a difference where you are in the middle. Ah, magic. How great to be able to spend that time with the family. Absolutely. Hey, so tell me how it was that you came as a, as a mm. young accountant uh, out to New Zealand. 
I was basically running away from home. Um, I, I, my father was one of the uh, pioneering accountants in Sri Lanka and set up a, a family practice here called Vijayaratna & Company, Chartered Accountants. It was our destiny to, to go and work in there. And after school, uh, aged 18, I joined the firm. Two years into that, I thought, my God, there's, there's got to be a better life than working for an audit firm. Um, and uh, much to my family shock and horror, I, um, I, I fled to New Zealand um, to, to get away from being stuck in the accounting firm. So that's, that's how I ended up in New Zealand in 88, um, as a 22-year-old recently qualified accountant. And what led you to New Zealand? Uh, well, and, and was it a very different environment from um, from bustling Sri Lanka? Look, I, I was desperate to find a cricket team that has got a winning record and and um, and a rugby team that has got a winning record um, that did better than Sri Lanka. So, um, look, um, jokes aside, the, the the whole idea of New Zealand is informed by the sale of milk powder in Colombo. So the, the impression that I had of Sri Lanka was informed by three things. The, the pictures of, of New Zealand on the anchor milk ads, the performance of the All Blacks on the field, and hearing David Longy um, early on in the 80s talk about New Zealand's position um, as, as a brave country. And, and, and that, that really attracted me to New Zealand. Um, and they were looking for migrants and accountants. So yeah, it was a, it was a logical fit. Ah, that's so cool that the nuclear-free position was a small part in bringing you over. That's so cool. And tell me about what, like, what led you to begin SmartBooks that became Smart Payroll. Like, what was the what was the space like in terms of technology solutions for businesses trying to do things like payroll in 1995? Because it's still not necessarily easy in 2020, is it? No. Um, so I spent the first six years of my life in New Zealand working for a large manufacturing company um, as a, the group financial controller, and that was my MBA. I, I learned uh, all, all of the things. Being a manufacturing company, we were dependent on our stocks and debtors and stuff like that. And I had a, a vision that if you could create a business that got paid as soon as you delivered a service, so which is the subscription-based model, um, that really attracted me. And looking at the demographics in New Zealand, I realized that New Zealand, the strength of New Zealand was its small business heart. And small business was very poorly supported then, as it is now. Things have improved. This is pre-zero. Um, zero has been a game changer for SMEs and, and compliance in New Zealand. Um, so the fact that the fastest growing sector was SMEs was attractive. And the fact that it was poorly supported was attractive as well. So the initial venture was providing a help desk for Mind Your Own Business that had just started in New Zealand. People would buy the software and try to run it. Because they didn't have accounting experience, they were a great mechanic, um, or they ran a fantastic dress design studio, but they didn't know anything about accounting. So the idea was, how do you translate that how do you demystify accounting for non-accountants and make it possible? That then morphed into Smart Books, which was essentially a GST solution run by Banklink, um, which is again a fantastic tech success story in New Zealand. Banklink sold for you know, $130, $140 million to NYOB. This is all New Zealand grown tech. 
that said, rather than people key in information to an accounting system, why don't we suck that information directly from a bank statement? This is like world-changing ideas that were happening in New Zealand. And smart books was essentially the consumer version of that. Um, I, I, I learned to sell. As an accountant, you get paid. You, know, you go to work, money arrives in your bank. Um, when you start a business, if you don't sell, you don't get paid. So I had to go and knock on doors, learn the hard way, you know, um, how to sell, how to set up a business. And, and smart books was that business, which then eventually evolved into smart payroll, which was the payroll side of it. Cool. And so that company that became um, smart books, then smart payroll, um, t- tell me how you went about growing that, because you were mentioning popping out and having to do sales yourself. Um, it started from quite small beginnings, didn't it? But it ended up being a huge um, part of uh, processing payrolls for New Zealand businesses all around the country. Absolutely. So the, the tech was essentially owned by Datacom, and so we had a licensed version of, um, of the smart payroll product. Um, and, and, and I learned a hell of a lot. I mean, I, I'd, I'd never really run a business myself, um, learned what it meant to raise money, what it, all of the hardships that you know, people talk about, I experienced firsthand. Um, and, and through that, the, we learned a few truths, which is if you provide exceptional customer care, you will have a loyal customer base, which is the best marketing you could spend on. So the, our help desk, our support, our customer facing part became our sales arm. So we didn't need to invest significantly in sales because if you've got a subscription-based business where a client is paying you 60 bucks a month, you can't spend a lot on having a sales team going out and making sales calls. That, that can't happen. So what do you do? You, you create a, a fan base of customers who actually love what you're doing. And, and that became our frontline help desk. So we, we changed a lot of paradigms in how help was delivered to customers. So we ran a 24-7 help desk. Now, that initially was me having a pager and a cell phone for six years, day in, day out, being on call. Wherever I went, my pager and my phone went with me. But then eventually we had people who took over those tasks and provided that. Because as a small business, when you're stuck with a GSD deadline or, or any deadline, you want help, you want help now. You don't, you're not prepared to send an email and wait for a response 48 hours later because you're dealing with an issue now. It's a, how do you provide that immediacy? How do you provide that intimacy? How do you provide that signal that says, I actually care about your business, so therefore I'm going to be available for you. That became the magic formula. Because at the start, there, there were a significant number of people who advised me, look, you've got a fantastic career as, a, as an accountant, you're making good money, why are you risking all of this to start this crazy venture? And small businesses will never pay you. And one of the first things I learned was that if you deliver value to small businesses, they will pay you. If you help them generate $5, they'll gladly pay you two bucks for that. That, that, was, the, that was the learning that I had. And it's quite remarkable, kind of, the value that you're able to give these small businesses. Like, if I think about, you know, them getting on the phone to catch you on your pages so you can help them, if they're anything like the small businesses I've been involved in, they're probably running their payroll at the end of the day. It's probably the last thing they have to do before they want to. They have to go home. If they don't get it out, their team doesn't get paid. 
they've probably made the mistake themselves, but they call up and say, your app's not working. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and then you've got you to be there to talk them down off the cliff and, and get them sorted. But like, it is wildly hard to deal with all that stuff yourself as a small business owner, isn't it? Whereas a system like this that files things to the Inland Revenue Department for you and calculates all of your responsibilities and makes sure that you're doing things right takes a lot of pain out of the week. That's it. So, so the, the, the mission is how do we take the compliance burden and, and automate that and, and hand that over to the computer to do so that the business owner can focus on the business part and know that people get paid on time and accurately so that there is, because people are the, employees are the most critical part in the business. And if a person comes to work and they expected to be paid the previous day and they haven't been paid, that's a really unhappy situation. <laughs> I'll, I'll bet. And 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 along, I saw a lovely line when I was doing a little bit of reading for this. Um, uh, that that you you gave a speech at one point that was saying that um, you know it's quite remarkable that ten percent of New Zealand's payroll was being run from a small business atop above a shop called Mister Bun in just the local high street. And that's such a cool thought that you were able to scale up to such a size. Yeah, it's 10% of the SME payroll um, uh, base in New Zealand. Um, it, it's, again, it's really important to be grounded. And, and again, as, a, as I've got older, I've realized that if you can empathize with your client, if you can be grounded, you continue to be a successful business. Um, you know, at that time, we were 40, 50 people strong. Um, we had incredible profit, incredible revenue, incredible growth. But all of that was possible because we made a promise to our client that said, no matter what, we've got your back. And that's what allowed us to do that. And, and, and again, you know, I've got some old-fashioned views that say, look, if you isolate yourself in an ivory tower in some flash building in Wellington Center, then you're going to lose that connection. So I insisted that we'll always be in Lower Hutt and, and we'll always be in the heart of small business. You can't get more small business than Mr. Bun and Lower Hutt overlooking the countdown car park. Aha, that's so cool. And then you mentioned before that you were using some um, technology licensed out of Datacom. Who ended up buying that first company uh, that, that you had set up? Um, tell me about that. Was that a plan to exit and to do that? Or, um, you know, what, what, what led up to, because it must be hard to build up a company like that. And then, um, yeah, it must be hard to make a decision about what you do next. Adopting out your firstborn is bloody hard. Um, we, 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 we got to that point because that we, Smart Payroll didn't own the technology that it was providing its end users. So as a result, the input we had and, and the amount of influence we had in the ability to direct that product was very limited. Um, Datacom were a fantastic business partner. Um, but it was their technology, it was not our technology. We were purely a sales and support arm. And, and as we got bigger and the customer base increased, that disconnect of not owning our tech became a harder and a hard proposition. So that was the, the background to it. Um, number two is I, I promised myself that when I stop being of value to the business, then I'll look to go and do something else. Because I, 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 I like building things and, and I, I hate managing things. So that, that's, the, that's the learning I had about myself. 
Um, so I was maturing as, as, a, as a person and the company was mature and, and we had a really good team running that. Um, so it made sense for Datacom to acquire that business to, to plug that back into the Datacom network. So we essentially took a product that was an orphan product for Datacom and over an eight or nine year time frame created a sustainable, thriving business that in order to get to the next stage needed to be owned by the people who control the tech. So in that respect, it wasn't a hard decision. Uh, the hard decision was the people that had come on that journey with me, meaning people who started right at the, way, right at the beginning. Um, leaving them behind was, was a hard call. And then a couple of years later, what, what got you back into the space? You know, because I imagine that, you know, if you're selling a 50-person company doing really good trade with 10,000 customers to one of New Zealand's biggest tech uh, superstar success story companies like Datacom, I imagine you probably could have kind of kicked back a little bit after that and not gone back into uh, the hard world of getting a startup off the ground. There were two things. It, look, look uh, personally, I did extraordinarily well. Um, I, I was semi-retired and I could have stayed that way for the rest of my days. Um, the, the two things are, number one, in New Zealand, there's around 160,000 small businesses. The vast majority of these, around 40 to 50% are using a spreadsheet or a manual system to calculate their payroll. Now, having been in this space for the amount of time I have, it is impossible to be compliant. So there's a lot of blue sky opportunity. And, and, and as an entrepreneur, we love blue sky opportunities. Things that are a, a hole in the market is, is things we look for. The second part was, while I had no intention of doing anything in payroll, the dream was to be semi-retired, to be a early stage investor in tech businesses, a non-executive director, doing the doing the life and um, after six months of that I, I realized that i just wasn't cut out for it i am not great at being a non-executive director it, it felt like being a passenger in a badly driven car handcuffed at the back it, it was like i i really struggled with it and and, and i just I, I really admire people who can do that but i just couldn't um so i thought look uh, I was getting really bored. I thought, what do I know? The only thing that I know really well is payroll. There's still an untapped opportunity. Uh, all of the payroll providers had missed the opportunity to deliver a mobile-friendly, all-on-mobile solution. And so all of that added up to saying, maybe I'll have a crack at it, uh, was what, what brought me back to it. Uh, <laughs> boring businesses are incredibly attractive to me. And, 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 you know, compliant solutions like payroll, it's, uh, payroll's not sexy. <laughs> Nobody wants to go there. Less competition. <laughs> if you love the spin-off, the best way to show it is to become part of the spin-off members. This is the fund that helps us keep free and accessible to all without a paywall. It also funds some of our most important and acclaimed journalism. Check it out through the spin-off. Kia ora. Sorry for this interruption. It's Alice Neville here. I am the food editor at the spin-off. And I just wanted to pop in and tell you about our food podcast, Dietary Requirements. Hosted by me, Simon Day, and Sophie Gilmore, it celebrates all there is to know about eating and drinking. There's cooking tips, there's special guests, there's what we've been eating and drinking lately, and we try not to chew into the microphone too much. 
So if you like food and drink, listen in. You won't regret it. It's it's at thespinoff.co.nz and all your favourite podcast providers. And this time round, you decided to like own your destiny with the technology provision and the technology solution and also kind of like nudged it along a little bit further from maybe the old desktop thinking of the past into where technology was going. Tell me a little bit about like that mobile first thing and also kind of like you say, you know, not in the ivory towers or not in the, um, you, you know, fancy main streets. Tell me about focusing on agriculture. Yeah, so uh, the, the tech component is a gift that my co-founder brings, Troy Tarrant. I, I know nothing about software development. Troy is the genius who um, really understands. He's got deep domain knowledge. He's spent a lot of time with other payroll businesses, but he's just an incredibly clever guy. And, and, and I met him. We had two meetings, that, that's all. And we didn't have a business plan. He was in Christchurch. And I said, look, why don't you move to Wellington and, and, and let's start this. And, and we rented an office 200 meters away from the previous business that I had in Lohar again, uh, in a small dark room um, where we were paying 500 bucks a, a month in rent. And, and, and Troy and I started that, that journey. And after a year, of, and then a couple of um, my previous team members, um, like the head of help desk, joined us to help define the product. So we spent the first year designing what we knew people wanted from our drawing on our past experience, but with the proviso that we don't carry computers with us anymore. We carry, we carry this little thing and, 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 and I do everything on that. And why are we not allowing businesses to run all of their payroll functionality on that phone was the starting point for us. And so that first year we had 10 customers, that's all, we, we, we chose to do it that way. I was blessed because I had you know, funding to be able to sustain myself and the business through that period. And at the end of that, we said, look, we need to find a customer grouping that we can look to become the dominant provider in. And, and we considered uh, hospitality, we considered retail, we considered agriculture. Um, and, and we essentially stumbled on, on, on agri opportunity and, and also the, the way we sell uh, pesos, which is, we went to a conference, we spent $5,000 and spent two days there and didn't make a single sale, didn't get a single lead. But talking to farmers, they described a problem that we'd never heard of. Farmers were being prosecuted by MV, Department of Labor, for breaching a minimum wage. It was a technical breach they were committing. Farmers pay on an annual salary. It's a complicated thing, but you know they had a problem and they were being prosecuted. They needed help. So in the space of two weeks, we were able to create a technology solution that guaranteed that farmers could not break the minimum wage compliance rule. And we took it to field days. The first farmer who saw it said, I can kiss your feet. So when you meet a stoic farmer from the deep south, rolling their eyes, saying that to a person like me, you know you're onto something. And that also became the marketing uh, piece for us, which is rather than trying to sell payroll, which is really hard to do, if you can solve a problem for a business owner that's related to payroll, we then smuggle payroll in, is how we do this. And, and that commitment to farming allowed us to, to pick up market share in farming. 
And, and we love farming because if you do a fantastic job for farmers, they tell everybody. They tell not only their fellow farmers, they tell the service station owner who is their mate they have a drink with, um, they tell the pharmacist who runs the pharmacy. So we've now morphed from being a agribusiness provider to actually being a rural New Zealand provider. So we've got more clients in Invercargill than we have in Auckland. There's a reason for that. Is, that, is that right? That's amazing. Absolutely. There's a high concentration of dairy farms, which is where we started from, and dairy farm owners talk to everybody. If you, It's a two-edged sword. If you do not deliver, they'll tell everybody. If you deliver, they'll tell everybody. Incredibly loyal. If you can, if you can commit to doing a good job for them, they support you. And that probably means you've got quite a lot of headroom if you've got more customers in Invercargill than in Auckland as well. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah. so that's, what, that's what we're seeing. So we're now seeing transitioning into mainstream. While our heart is still very much in, in rural New Zealand, you know, we are signing up cafes, restaurants, elder care, home, all of that kind of stuff is happening on its own. Tell me about going for the share market listing as I imagine that is another one of those double-edged swords and that, you know, it does give you the ability to raise capital and kind of, you know, really scale up for growth. But as a small company that has good funding, it must have a lot of compliance and a lot of other uh, requirements around it. You know, a lot of people ask us why we went early. Um, there are a number of things. Again, one of the true things that I've learned about Business is about people, and, and, and businesses generally reflect where people have come from. As a kid, I always got blown away by the share market. I, I started investing when I was 14. I understood the power of public markets. I also saw what people like uh, Rod Drury had done with Zero in terms of its listing. They listed when they had no revenue. And, 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 and the listing not only gave them access to capital, which is incredibly valuable, but it gave them profile that money cannot buy. And, 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 and you can see this in, in Pushpay. You, there's a whole bunch of people that have taken that path and, and that has led to success. So I thought, okay, there, there is something there. Because again, I, I, I'm, I'm a great mimic. We all are. We look at what works and, and, and how do we repeat that. So the option that came up for a, a listing, which we took, we, we did a reverse listing, which is, um, less painful but still as you know going to go to the same compliance burden if people tell you a reverse listing is easier than a, an ipo they are lying to you it, it is it is as it is as uh, compliance heavy as uh, because they've, ch they've changed all of the rules now but we didn't have to spend nine months on the road doing road shows and and meeting investment bankers but more importantly at the end of the listing process troy myself and the team owned 65% of the business. If we had done a traditional IPO, we would have got hammered on that listing. We were still, the people who own the business are the people who created the business. And again, that's really important that there is that fairness and equity in it. Um, so a, a, a public listing really helped. And lastly, as you say, in terms of fundraising, we've just raised over $5 million the total cost of that is less than 1%. Now, you, you, you show me a, another startup that is able to raise 5% for less than 100,000 bucks. 
that is the listing fees, the NZX fees, the legal fees, all out. That's, you, you just can't get that. And that's the beauty of public markets. Also, a lot of our customers are now shareholders. So they're coming on the journey with us. The fact that um, Pathfinder Asset Management through their CareSaver Kiwi Fund means that ordinary New Zealanders who are investing in their KiwiSaver fund are investing in us. And, and, and they're coming along on this journey. The, the business we are creating is shared among all New Zealanders. And again, as a business for us, that's important. Look, we, we are, we're driven by the bottom line, but we are not driven purely by the bottom line. As a company, as individuals, we want to make a difference in the world, not purely by saying, how much money can we make? We, we genuinely want to change the society we are in. We, we are cognizant of the environment we are in, the people we're dealing with. And, and, and you can't do that better than through a public company. And in response to the current environment with COVID-19, the idea of Pay Simple, where you've come out and offered kind of a stripped back version, as far as I understand, of PaySource so that uh, businesses can get online. Tell me about the thinking behind that. Yeah, one of the things with COVID is people are locked out of their business premises. And if you're a business that's dependent on your local area network, on your computer that's got it on its hard drive, and you didn't take that computer, how are you going to do your payroll now? Um, and we saw this with the crash at Earthquake was one of the other experiences that I drew on. The, the team said, what can we do for our fellow business owners that are hurting out there that have got this compliance obligation of filing their payroll return? And the team sat down and, and very quickly worked out what we could do. We built a brand new solution. So it's not cutting down what we have. It's actually creating a brand new solution from scratch tested and out the door through our accounting partner channel in two and a half weeks. That, that was incredible. So that, that's, um, again, it's the ethos of the people who work with me in terms of saying, look, there's a need, what do we do? You know, let's do something. Cool. Okay. Um, so that, that's, that, that, was, that, that was very simple. Um, and, and that's via uh, the accounting channel um, providers that we have. Ah, that's so cool. And as a free service out there for that time period, I guess it acts as a good little um, lead generator for future people to jump onto PaySource in the future. Absolutely. Um, again, it's about relationships and, and you know, how, how, do you, how do you build relationships? And, and if you give unconditionally, you get back in, in the main. It's, it's a karmic law. Yeah. And on that kind of topic, um, as part of your Queen's Service Medal, part was for uh, services to business, but also services to the Sri Lankan community. Uh, tell me about the kind of um, the, the, the links between the countries and, um, and, and what kind of stuff you're involved in there. Uh, Sri Lanka is a significant uh, trading partner to New Zealand. Uh, Sri Lanka takes a lot of milk powder in the main uh, and a couple of other products like that. Um, so it's a long, uh, long-standing relationship uh, between New Zealand and Sri Lanka. It, it's at, the, at this point, it's a lot of one-way trade. Um, and, and there is a strong Sri Lankan presence in New Zealand, uh, doctors who came in the 70s, accountants who came in the 80s, software developers who came in the 90s. So, and, and these people are embedded in the community. And um, 
being a migrant myself, um, starting up in a new country is is tough. You know, you you you, it's, it's a new place, new way of doing things. Um, you know, I I can say this now. I took a plate, an empty plate, to bring a plate because I didn't know what the hell that meant. You know, that, that that's the kind of things that you don't understand <laughs> un until you're part of a community. You, um, really? You, you, you BYO plate and it was just a plate? Oh, no. <laughs> well, how do I know what it means? It said, how do you know? Plate. Yeah, I brought a plate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it took me months to recover from that. Um, it, it's... It, it's uh, it's how do you apply for a mortgage? How you know what, what is a personal guarantee? Uh, a, a lot of second-generation New Zealanders, uh, Sri Lankan New Zealanders, are getting into business. Um, how can you facilitate that? Was one part of it. Two, as again as I have been successful, I feel an obligation back to Sri Lanka as well. Um, Sri Lanka suffered for 30 years with a bloody civil war. Hundred thousand plus people dead. A lot of people displaced. Um, a lot of devastation in the country uh, and, and this beautiful place needs people like myself to bring back what they've learned bring back some of our resource and saying no, what what can we do um, and, and there's some amazing projects that that, that, um, that i'm involved in both here and, and in new zealand uh, to do that that's so cool and what kind of advice do you give to those people thinking of starting out business today? What what advice do you give from your experiences? <laughs> well, look, the, 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 the key thing that I say is, look, if you are, if you can see a, a need and you can and genuinely fulfill that, and, and you look after your team and you look after your customer, then everything else will follow. So, so there's, a, there's a pun, you know, you, you can use words like love, to talk about your customers and, and, and the commitment you have for them. Because if you do that, then that relationship, that, that was the biggest lesson I learned, that business is not balance sheets and debtors and creditors and all that sort of mumbo jumbo. It's not, it's about people. You, you, you sit across a, 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 another human being and you interact with that person and, and you either get on, you don't get on, you can help them or you can't help them. And, and, and that became the, the mantra for me. So when I left the, the manufacturing company and set up business, I had a very simple rule. If I saw a customer, they needed to be delighted to see me. I shouldn't be embarrassed to see my customer, my supplier. How do I create a business that does that? Or an employee, a current or, or, or a past employee, never to be embarrassed to see them on the street. So for me, getting a hug from a customer is a massive endorsement. Meeting an ex-employee and, and them delighted with meeting me is a huge endorsement. So, so those things, this, this has been true for me. If I do that, then success becomes natural. You, you create an environment where people want to work there. And another question that we like to ask everyone is like, as you mentioned there with success, like, what will your version of success be as, um, you know, having had success from the, the financial exit from your first and then gone back to kind of make a, a, a more modern version for today? Like, yeah, what, what, will, be, what will be success for you? Success for me and, and for the team is to be able to disrupt the sleepy dinosaur world of payroll as it currently exists. It is one of the last areas in business that have not truly been disrupted. If we are able to disrupt that, because if, if you think about it, 
things like the weekly pace, the monthly pay cycle, the fortnightly pay cycle, all of these are constructs from the old industrial age when people worked in mines and in factories, where the payroll clerk had to go down with their pay cards and do that once a week or once a month. We don't need to do that now. If I, if I drive for Uber and I, and I earn a hundred bucks, I can ask Uber to pay me my hundred bucks today. So why are we forcing people who are on salaries and wages to wait for the end of an arbitrary two week or three week or whatever the period is? Why are we doing that? So why can't we say, look, you earned a hundred bucks today, I want it now. Why can't I have it now? So that's the kind of change we are looking to drive and, and we're doing this using technology and, 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 and breaking down those boundaries and saying, we don't have to be bound by those rules anymore because the world's moved on. We have a thing called smartphones, internet, that were not even thought of when these rules were set up. So for me, that, that's you know, the big word, legacy or, or whatever. You know, what success is, were we able to lead and drive the successful disruption of payroll in New Zealand and globally. Like, like, you know, I, I look at, I really am a great admirer of Rod Drury. He has well and truly disrupted what accounting means to businesses uh, across the globe. Can we do that for payroll? That's our mission. How do we do that? That's so cool. Well, I can't wait to see where you take it from here. Thank you so much for joining us and for, for sharing your story. That's Asantha Wijayratna, who is the CEO and uh, one of the founders of PaySource. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Simon. It's been a pleasure. Great. Thank you so much to Tina Tiller for producing across the other side of the Zoom call. And thank you very much for having us along and listening. Cheers. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From The Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited, and of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin Off Podcast Network.